0: society that this is what um, God is doing in my life. And so, yeah, it's just, I, I just love, I love baptisms. And, and so I still get questions um, <clears throat> about, I don't do all the baptisms here. Uh, the reason is because I don't think that there is a spiritual precedence for um, somebody like me that's in a, a pastoral position to do the baptisms. Um, we, in fact, I spoke about that two Wednesday nights ago, when we did this. That uh, we strongly believe here that whoever witnesses to you, and who's the person that is your spiritual um, parent, that is your discipler, that's the person that should baptize you. That's what happened in Acts when um, when um, Philip baptized the Ethiopian. Right? He wasn't. He was. He was just a lowly board member in a church. A few things that we have happening right now, you probably got an email about this, you've seen it on the screens up there. We have the, um, the Become Scholarship, and this is, this is a scholarship that Gordon put in place, Gordon White put in place after um, his family was killed in a car wreck. And they were very much a part of our church. For you guys that are newer here, this is, this is not part of your history of Church of Briargate, but it is definitely part of our history here. And uh, they were they were so much a part of us and their their kids in the, the youth group and the children's department and uh, just just friends with everybody here and and um, Gordon took some of the money some of the trust and some of the stuff that he had for his three kids um, Bruce and Rebecca and Scott and that's what become is become are the letters of their names and and um, and so he put the t- this together for a scholarship. And we've been doing this for the last um, six years now, I guess. And uh, this is three scholarships for a thousand dollars apiece. And there's a point system. If you're in higher, if you're going into higher education, at any level, you can apply for the scholarship. There's, it's, it's built on a point-based system. With if you're a graduating senior from our youth group, you get the most points. And, uh, and if you're doing other things, then you get points too. And, and we've given them to, for people that are and their masters and all kinds of stuff, but uh, that we've got a two-week deadline here to put this in. Um, Gordon has the trust, but our, but our board is the uh, facilitators of this. We we um, <clears throat> take care of the trust, and so get that paperwork in. You can find that on the website. You can print that out, and everything you need to know is right there. And and, um, and then we're looking because when when um, when Gordon got remarried, they moved out east, and uh, they. Um, the next year they're going to be taking that um, out there with them t- and putting it in the hands of the Falcon School District, uh, which is where the kids went to. And so we've had the honor. Scott would be graduating this year, and he was the youngest. And so we've had the privilege of of uh, facilitating that for uh, quite a few years now. And it's, it truly is an honor, but also just because they're, they're family. And, and every now and then, um, Gordon and Rebecca show up, and, and uh, it's just like they're they're... They're just right in the mix of this. And so and don't forget our business meeting is Wednesday. If you're a voting member, you need to be here. Uh, we will find you, maybe send out a, a bolo on you or something like that. But um, if, you're, if you're not a voting member, you want to be here, we definitely want you here, okay? We, we want you to be a part of the discussions, all the stuff. We're voting on two board members. We're also uh, really talking about the building, where we are, now that we've got everything finished out there, where we are financially and kind of what the next step is, and we really want some really good, healthy discussion in all of this. And I I will mention, I'll talk a little bit more about this Wednesday night, but just to reiterate for you this morning, so because I still am getting a lot of questions. Um, Yes, I am running for um, state rep house district 15. I did get enough votes that there are no Republican um, opponents going into the uh, primary. And so, um, it's, and this is a very strong conservative district that I am, so it, it um, looks like that there's a, a good chance that I'm going to be the next state rep. So, so here is the answers to some of the questions. I'm still going to be pastoring the church. If the only times for the most part that I see you is on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, our relationship will not change. That's basically what it is. If I see you more oftener than that, our relationship is going to change. That's all I know right now. How much is it going to change? I don't know. Are we going to be as close as we used to be? I don't know. We could be closer emotionally, spiritually. I don't know because I have not done this yet. Um, but I'm still trying to figure that out. Pa- uh, Pastor Rick is coming on board with us next week. Is his official uh, start time. And they, Rick and I have been processing this for a while and we're gonna. We've got a. We've got until January to really work out what this is gonna look like, and uh, as far as schedule and stuff like that. And so, um, so I'll try to answer some of those questions Wednesday night um, the, in the business meeting. If you have those questions, we'll we'll see what that looks like. So, um, something else that's been happening around here. Uh, Allison has been in charge of life groups for um, a few years now. And uh, and she is uh, working at Life Network now, and she is also um, getting a master's degree. And, um, and apparently you can't do a master's degree and do a lot of other stuff. I don't know. It sounds like an excuse to me. But uh, she's going to back away from life groups some. Hey, Allison. So, um, <clears throat> so... Uh, Christy Ballinger, is Christy here? I, I saw her. Christy Ballinger is going to be heading up life groups. got a lot of ideas, a lot of stuff we want to try to do. Here's, here's a passion. This is what I've conveyed a lot to Christy with this, is we want every person in our church connected with other people. And so we want you to get in a life group or start a life group. If you look at all the life groups and say, hey, I don't like any of those, then start one. We have a knitting life group. I still don't understand, (laughs) although I did get a good scarf out of the deal, so, um, but, so, so, be in a life group, start a life group, that's how simple that is, and Christy's going to be coming up with ideas, doing stuff, and and pushing you uh, some for that, so, so, something else I did want to mention, this has been, this is, this has been two years that we've all kind of known this, and some people didn't know it—maybe a year and a half, maybe a year. But now, pretty much the whole planet knows this—that um, this whole pandemic thing has been a joke from the very beginning. It was a control thing. It was a joke. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, um, it wasn't real. Like everybody made it. Well, now even this week, and over the last three or four months, we've been seeing a lot of states that they're caught changing numbers, health numbers, vaccine numbers and everything. Remember I told you guys from the very beginning of this, the, the place where my mother died, just a few months after COVID started, the place where my mother died, they tried to say she died of COVID and she died of renal failure. And I called them on it and they changed the death certificate back. It, was already, it already said COVID on it. Well, now just this week, they, the CDC has been caught again. They're removing tens of thousands of deaths that are from COVID that, are, that already have the vaccine. They're taking the numbers off the books. They're just doing away with all these numbers. So tens of thousands of people no longer died of COVID. They died of something else because they had the vaccine and that, that doesn't fit their narrative. So they have to take this off. This is, this is bizarre. I know, that, I know that I pick on some of this stuff sometimes, but guys, I, I don't know how... It does not reconcile in my mind... Sometimes I think because I still have this naïve tave about, about America and about decency and about honesty and integrity. I just, it still catches me off guard sometimes how broken and how corrupt our government is. That they are liars. It's weird how, how just blatantly, and see what's happened now is they're just going to lie right to your face about this stuff. And almost like, what are you going to do about it? That's, in fact, I haven't really made a big deal about this, but this is really one of the biggest reasons that I finally said, you know what, I'm going to run for House District 15 because I am tired of them thumbing their nose at me and me not doing anything about it. And I don't know how much power and how much control I'm going to have, but I'm going to do everything I can to tear down this goofy corruptness that we call our government. It drives me crazy. So so people have been asking me, what can I do, what can I do? I'm going to tell you something that I did this week, and this is just an example, an example of th- something that you can do. <clears throat> I really believe that you have a lot more control than, than, than what you think, what you give yourself credit for, and a lot more power. You are an individual, you're a consumer, and you, are, you have uh, thoughts and ideas, and that makes you a powerful agent within society. You just don't necessarily know that all the time, Right? Um, for example, let's say that everybody wanted to stop uh, seeing um, avocados sold in the grocery stores. Now, don't ever do that because I love avocados. But but if we just all stop buying avocados, do you realize eventually they would go away? They'd still be grown around the world, but they wouldn't be sold in our grocery stores because you have power. And, and the more we get together, the more power. So this, this week, I <clears throat> had a doctor's appointment. And I walked into the doctor's office and I forgot that there were still some people laboring under stupidity. And so I, I walked into the doctor's, doctor's office, and everybody's got masks on, all the people at the desk. I didn't have a mask. And, and the, they were checking me in, and the nurse, one of the other nurses said, um, Mr. Bottoms, do you have a mask? And it dawned on me, I don't have a mask. And something just clicked, and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. If anybody knows the truth about masks... It's the doctor's office. They know they're a joke. They know they can't stop something as, as micro as this, as this COVID. But they still do it. And, then, and this doctor's office very strongly pushes the vaccine. Now, I haven't got it, and they know I'm not going to, but, but they strongly push it, and they believe in the mandates and all this. So I just finally had enough of this. She said, do you have a mask? I said, no, and I'm not going to wear one. And they, all the nurses were like, all right, what, all right. You know, the lady just typing was like, you know, but, but I told her I said I'm not I'm not gonna wear one. She said, well, you, you, but you, you, but you have to wear one." I'm like, "I don't have to wear one." Look, I was nice. I'm I'm being a little more, um, yeah. But I was nice about it. I said, "I'm just not gonna wear one." And they said, "Mr. Vargas, we can't. You've got to go outside." They said, "Can you wait outside till we call you?" I said, "Yeah, I'll go wait in my car." Um, and I gave them my phone number and they said, we'll, we'll call you and we'll see if we can get you into a separate room. <laughs> As opposed to what? There's nobody in my room when I'm getting examined normally. <laughs> and so they, they finally called me and said, um, your doctor, which, which I like her. She's been my doctor for a lot of years, but, um, and I didn't think she was this way. The conversations we've had, I didn't think that, but, um, they called and said, your doctor said she will not see you unless you wear a mask. Can we get you a different doctor? And I said, no, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to get a whole new doctor's office. One that thinks different. Here's part of the reason, guys. Here's part of the reason I'm saying this. Think of what I'm saying. They believe you've got to wear a mask, which we you know is not healthy. They think you have to take the vaccine, which we know has been more. Remember the statistic I gave last week? 90% of all COVID deaths right now are people with vaccines. Some of you are like, I had the vaccine. I'm sorry, you shouldn't have got it. So, and then, and then they, won't, they won't prescribe ivermectin, and they won't prescribe hydroxychloroquine. Ivermectin has a 98% success rate. Everything else has a less than 10% success rate. Now, why would I go to a doctor that thinks like that? When I get cancer, they're not going to give me the right medicines. They're not going to prescribe the right thought process. So why would I, it just dawned on me while I'm standing there, why am I still going here? So I've been looking for another doctor this whole week, so. (laughs) All right. You can do a lot more than you think you can. If you go in somewhere and they say you have to wear a mask, don't go in there. Go somewhere else. Go to their competitor. If, for example, if Hertz Donuts says you have to wear a mask, well, Krispy Kreme is opening up tomorrow. All right. I, I want us to look at this. This um, I've been hearing this a lot lately. Is uh, we're, what? What is our? Do we have any hope left in America? We're seeing that that uh, suicide rates are off the charts, specifically within um, uh, lower end millennials and Gen Z. Uh, suicide is going crazy because why? They don't have any hope. Well, hope is something that we we use that word, and I think most of the time we use the word hope, we use it more in the context of um, of wishing, wish something, like this this uh, ethereal thing that has no connection to anything. But I've been singing this song. I, I sing this. I've been singing this song all my life, and specifically a few lines of it. I do that with old hymns. I sing parts of them because I don't remember all of them. I, I, I was a drummer growing up in church. I was a drummer from the time I was. I started drumming in church at five. And I, and, I, and I started playing, like, the bass and, and guitars and stuff um, around 10, 11, 12, something like that. And uh, so I, as a drummer, you remember the first part of the verse and the last part transitioned into the chorus. Stuff, but you don't know all the words in between. That's how I know all the songs that I sing. So, but this, this one song, I've sang this forever, and I've been singing it a, a lot the last three or four months. And, and part of the lines of this is, My hope is built on nothing less and Jesus Christ, his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And I think about this, 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 this understanding that, that hope has to be built. It's not something that just happens. Look at society today. It doesn't just happen. It has to be built. Well, what are you building your hope on? The same thing, see hope, see, hope to me is very subjective. Now, I think, it's, I think there is some concreteness to it, but it's subjective individualistically. You make your decisions about hope. You decide what you're going to build your hope upon. The same concept with peace. I think peace is very subjective, too. That we see that the peace of God, which goes beyond our natural understanding. Well, when we go into the arena of beyond our natural understanding, it starts to become something that we can choose to embrace or not, choose to, 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 um, to analyze or not, choose to let it be part of our existence or not. We, we, can, we can choose to back away from it. It's the, it's the same concept with purpose. Purpose is very subjective. What, what, what am I here for? What is my purpose? Why am I on this planet? Why am I breathing air? Well, that is something that you can actually embrace to expand or you can embrace to, to, to uh, compound. You, the, the idea of your purpose, if we could just get a tiny little glimpse, I think, I really believe this. If you could just get a tiny little glimpse of some of the things that God wants you to do. First, Habakkuk 1.5. Now, the context of Habakkuk 1.5 is negative. I'm going to use it positive because I'm standing here. So, Habakkuk 1.5 says that God is not going to tell you what he is going to do ahead of time because he, you wouldn't believe it. You couldn't handle it. Well, I, I think that's in a positive sense, too. God's got plans for you. God can expand your horizons beyond what you ever thought possible. But you've got to let it be in God for that to happen. You've got to be pursuing God. You've got to be pursuing his plan, his will, his heartbeat. Not just the things about him. Like, like here's, here's the uniqueness of what I found about the word of God. The word of God is about God, but it's also God. And you decide how you read it. You decide whether it's information about Christianity or this is your heartbeat. You decide whether it's information about God or his story or whatever the case is or you decide whether it is your heartbeat. The word of God is living and active, but you decide whether it lives in you. You can't just read it. It can't just be words on a page. Now, I still believe in the transcendence of the word of God, so... Even if you just read it, it's amazing what God can do there. He can even cut through, right, when you don't want him to. But, but all of this stuff is kind of subjective. So the, so the question I would have is, uh, if you were going to say to yourself, what is my hope in right now? I hope, because see, that, that, that concept is kind of temporary. We can do that per issues in our life rather than a, a transcendent foundation, rather this uh, over overreaching thing. Where hope is, my, my, my existence, my life is the hope of Jesus Christ. We have, we have a theology in our fellowship and in many different denominations that's called the blessed hope. And it's this confidence that we have, this knowledge that Jesus Christ is coming back to get us. And it's not just a wish, it's built upon something. It's not temporary, it's transcendent. Well, What we do sometimes with hope is we turn it more into a wish and we make it temporal. For this issue, or for this issue, but if you ask yourself right now, what do I really hope? Where's my hope? What do I hope for? What do I hope in? I mean, you you think that in your own head? What? Ask yourself that question. And I don't mean like, um, like uh, Miss America type of hope. You know, I just I hope there's world peace. I, that's not what I mean. You know, well, you, you chose the right profession to get that done. But, but I mean, really, in in your in your in your depth of your soul. What am I hoping for? Is it temporary? Some some of you are hoping that your children will come to know Jesus. Well, that's not just a wish. That's built in something. It's built in the reality of Jesus first, but it's also built in the knowledge that the Holy Spirit is pursuing your kids more than you're pursuing your kids. That the Holy Spirit loves them more than you love them. That the Holy Spirit wants to save them more than you want to save them. That's a hope. That's a transit. Let me give you, let me give you this an example. This is, this is a way to kind of process hope in a, in, a, um, in a systematic way to where it's a foundational thing. Okay? So you're hanging off of a cliff, and you, you can't see the bottom. It's so far down, you can't see the bottom. It's just death down there. and and it's, And it's high enough above you, you can't. Get out of this. And you're just hanging off of, like by a branch. I don't pick what you want. And you're hanging off of this cliff. Well, you have hope. You have hope what? That you will not plunge to your death. But, the, but there's not really anything that you have there to, to guide that or to build that upon. You just have hope. And that's the way I think that we can get caught up right now in our life today. Is, well, keep, keep hope. Keep hope alive. What, what does that even mean? I, I have hope. In what? In how? In, in, in the, and it becomes really a very ambiguous thing. What is hope built upon? You're hanging off the side of the cliff. There is nothing. There's, you can't get up. You can't. I mean, you can go down, but that's not the pr- prefer. But So what is, what is your hope built in? Now, here's then what happens is, um, you hear something rustling up there. You hear something moving around up on top of the cliff. Now your hope grows. You don't know what that is. It could be an animal that likes to spit over cliffs. You don't know. But, but there is something. Something stirs in you and you have at least, you don't know what's up there but something is up there and so your hope grows a little bit. It's not just in nothing now. It's in at least something that tangibly you know exists, but you just don't know anything about it. Right? The next thing that happens is that you hear a human voice up there. Now your hope begins to grow. Now there is something legit here. There is more than just a wish. This is something that is built upon something. So you begin to call out to this person, "Um, I need help. Help me up, up there. And so then the person says, well, let me go get some help. Okay? I don't want to make this misogynist, but if it's a girl voice or a boy voice... Doesn't that change the hope a little bit there? (laughs) Now, um, whatever. Okay? But you hear a voice, and they say, let me go get some help. Now, here's the interesting thing about this part. Because they're going to go get some help, but now you're back where you were, because there's a trust involved with this hope, that they're actually going to go do that. Because now the voice is gone, they're going to go get some help. You're, You're your trust began to, to have to be depended on during the hope. Okay? And then all of a sudden, a rope comes falling over the side of the cliff. Now your hope has grown exponentially. Right? If you think about this, you look along the side of the cliff and there's hundreds of people hanging off the cliff and ropes are coming over left and right. And they're being pulled to the top over the edge, pulled to the top over the edge. And you're watching this. As you're reaching for your rope, that becomes a confidence. That hope grows even more. And the moment that they pull you over the top of that ridge and you kind of roll over onto your back and you're, you know, you're so glad just to be on flat ground, now your hope is realized. It has become reality. See, I, I, I have been reading the Bible all of my life, and there are so many stories in the Bible that show me that there is hope in any condition you can come up with. Most of us do not need the reality of hope of being thrown in a den of lions. None of us are going to be thrown in a den of lions, Probably. But God is showing in all kinds of circumstances that he is God over everything. Over the laws of nature, over animals, over anything you can put out there. People, circumstances, um, armies, famine, anything. High gas prices. I'll preach about that one sometime. It's there. But here's here's the reality is I have hope. Why? It's not a wish. It is built in something. It is built in God's Word, Old Testament, New Testament, and it is also built in God's Word that has exploded in my spirit, and I have seen and experienced God's Word type of situations in my own life. And that builds my hope and my faith and my trust in the Lord. And, and I've come across many people over the years that have said, well, God's never done anything for me. That, that is... That is very narrow-sided to even say that. It's, it's really narcissistic. You're saying that the God of the universe that created everything has never done anything in your life. Maybe Maybe, maybe you could have the conversation that he's done stuff and you haven't recognized it. Maybe. But even that, I think, would be questionable. God does stuff in our life. So the first thing here, trust in the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, Asked the Holy One. I like it when God gets to talking like this. Like, like the whole last part of Job is this. I love reading that. I'll read the book of Job at least once a year. And uh, specifically when I'm feeling down, right? Like, I'm feeling like my life is not going the way I, it should or I want it to or whatever. I'll read the book of Job. By the time I get to then, I'm like, okay, God, you got me. Right? He says in verse 26, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? See, see this is one of the reasons that Satan tries to attack. Remember Romans chapter 10 says that Satan tries, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 10 says that Satan tries to attack our knowledge of God. Satan can't attack God. That's just dumb. But he can attack the way you think about God, the way you perceive God, your truth that has been built upon God's word. He will attack that. He will attack the the transcendence of God in your life, in your mind. He can't actually attack God and what God is doing in your life. All he can do is attack the way you think about God this is why Satan attacks through people and, and comes up with um, evolution. Because Satan wants you to have, when you look up into the stars at night, Satan wants you to have a different answer than God did that. He wants you to have any other answer that, you, that he can provide for you, except God did that. Because even this, I, I know I say this every now and then, but you guys know when we finish the, the building that these windows behind me are going to be bigger and wider, taller and wider. Why? Because that's God's creation right there. You can't, you can't get that. <clears throat> you can't make that. And we've allowed Satan and society and, and, and fake science to tell us that those mountains came from something besides the hand of God. Because why? When I look at the mountains... I see God, and it causes me to worship him and to just be amazed and overwhelmed. I've been living in Colorado since 1996. I started coming to Well, I was born in Pueblo, but I would come up as a kid to Colorado all the time, and I've never, to this very second, I never get tired of that. Never. God did that. When I see the stars at night, God, and I always tried to make sure that my kids remembered this stuff and thought of it. I've, I've done whole sermon series on stars. In fact, I was thinking about this, mentioned this in first service. We lived in our, the last place we lived, when we pastored the church out east of Denver. We had a little plot of land, a few acres, and so, and, and the next place, everybody had a few acres, so nobody was near you, you're right? And, uh, and so we would, we would come home, especially when the boys were younger. I'm saying it that way so they won't, won't be embarrassed but because um, I think it still happens today. But we'd, we'd come in specifically at night, and Linda would always get frustrated at the boys because immediately they would jump out of the car, and they would go to the bathroom outside in the field because they could. We were free. And then she would look at me, and she'd be like, what is wrong with them? I'm like, I don't know, <clears throat> but I got to go too, so... But there's something about camping and all that kind of stuff. You're just standing out there staring up at the sky. And you see the handiwork of God. And God reminds you, he's really big. He's really amazing. He said, look over the heavens. Who created all those stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Not just the ones that we can see, but he calls them all by name. We think numbering the hairs on your head is difficult. He's named every single star. He also made them. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. And then he says in verse 27, and I think in the the name of Jacob and Israel, you can put your own name into this. And I I think we are supposed to put our own name in this too. I don't think that's just me saying that. I think this is why God writes this to us. He says, "Oh Jacob, put my name in there. Oh Scott, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles?" Scott, how can you say God ignores your rights? And I've said that to God before. God, you're not you're not treating me right. You're not look at so and so. Didn't David cover that quite a bit? Right? And I know, I, I've said this, and sometimes this, people misunderstand this, it bothers them a little bit, whatever. But I just strongly believe you can't be a Christian very long at all before you're going to be mad at God over something. You're just going to be. That just makes you human. It doesn't make you evil or demonic or any of that kind of stuff. It just makes you human. The, the best advice that I can possibly give is when you're frustrated with God or even angry with God, go to Him. About it. And you'll be amazed at what he can do right there. He's not going to slap you down. He, you, do you think that it, it's really overwhelming too much for God that you're angry with him? Right? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. I've experienced this. I know what this feels like. I know what it looks like. And I think many of you in here have had the same. You know it when God gives power to you in, in your time of weakness. And then also he gives strength to you when you are powerless. When you have no strength, he gives you strength. We know that God does this stuff. Even youths will become weak and tired. Young men will fall into exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. And I believe that there's, I I don't believe in in predestination. I don't believe that that things just happen just because. I think you are the decider of stuff. So it says here, those who put their trust in the Lord will find new strength. In other words, if you don't uh, trust in the Lord, that's not available to you. It's the concept of the steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. And we just say, well, that means all of our steps are ordered by God. That's not what it says. It says the steps of a righteous person. Righteousness is choosing to be under the blood of Jesus Christ. It is choosing to let Jesus Christ's blood cover you and make you right with God. And that is the, is the, is the um, test of whether your step is going to be ordered by him. That's the determiner. It's not just it's going to happen... Just because I I don't understand. I've really never understood why people believe in predestination. I've never understood that. I, you know, I, I get reminded of this regularly. Um, I went up to to um, Loveland to be part of the youth thing up there. But the real reason I went is because there's a, a restaurant up in Fort Collins called Rodigio's. <clears throat> and it's a Brazilian steakhouse. And and I knew I was going to go up there and and just about become unconscious, and so, was that predestined? God predestined me to go up there and eat so much meat, I'm literally passing out? Was that, that, I'm not asking whether it's God's will, that's none of your business, that's between me and God, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, was that predestined? I mean, you could name 10 things that you do, just, just this today, that shows a your life is not predestined. You choose. You choose all day long. You choose stuff. You make this decision and make this decision. When you put your trust in the Lord, he will give you strength. But you've got to put your trust in him. You've got to bury yourself in him. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And that's we, You think about this emotionally, mentally, spiritually in our society today. We need some more of that talk. We need some more of that mentality. There's so much despair and no hope and no anything. We need this. Put your hope in the Lord, the second thing. Put your hope in the Lord. And the reason I say it like that is to say to the exclusion of anything else. It's amazing how we allow other things to fight for space within our hope. What do I mean by that? We we can do this with our with our um, our health. Physically, you, if physically you're healthy, and so you you can do certain things. So you put your hope or your trust in that, right? Your your ability, your cognitive ability to do your job. You can put your hope in that. The Lord doesn't want your hope to be in any of those things. What about money? Put our our hope in our money or our job. Why? Well, I, 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 I think people nowadays don't put their hope near as much in their job as they used to. I think we realize how, how fragile that can be, right? Um, but our retirement plans, our money. I, I saw a great conversation by two um, pastors online um, a couple weeks ago probably. And they were discussing money and they were discussing finance. They said, and, you, and you've heard me say this before. People always misquote the, the scripture that says, that they, this is the way people say it. Money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what the scripture says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So they were asking the question, is, is having money bad? And then, the, you know, then they ask a lot of questions with that. Is having a lot of money bad? Is there a point where you can have too much money? And all the, Now, society pushes this stuff in, in very weird ways. Cultures push this stuff, Right? And and the conclusion that they came up with, which I agree with, money is not bad, and having money is not bad, and having lots and lots of money is not bad. I've never had lots and lots of money. I'm open to it if God wants to do that. But but that's not bad. But then they ask a great question, and and this is the one that will get us. What about desiring that money? Wanting money. Now, I'm not saying so I can pay my bills and, you know, have a car or whatever. I'm saying it becomes a desire in your heart. This is why, this is what I do. I make money. Give me more. They asked Howard Hughes one time, um, how much money is enough? Do you need more money? And then how much more money do you need? And he said, at least one more dollar. Well, somewhere... Somewhere that takes over your spirit. And I think Howard Jesus is a great example of it didn't end well for him. Right? Having money, bad? No. But in your heart, wanting that? See, the love of money is where evil begins to grow. That's the root. It's where evil begins to grow is when we desire it. Is that where your hope is? Is your hope in your job? Is your hope in your, in your 401K, your 401B? Is that, is that where it is? I mean, you've you got to ask yourself, where are you put your hope? Where is your hope? Is your hope in, in your family? It's good to have hope in your family, but that can't be the foundation of your hope, your relationships. My hope is built on what? Only Jesus. My hope is built on Jesus. Everything else flows out of that. What I do, my purpose, the the things that God wants me to accomplish, all that flows out of what? My relationship, my foundation is Jesus Christ. All my hope is on him. My hope for rescue, redemption, life, it's on him. My, My hope to be kept alive is on him. That's, that's where our hope is built. Romans 8, verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Aren't you looking for that? Somebody said that to me Wednesday night. I said, Man, if Jesus would just come, it would fix all this. It actually doesn't fix it all, it changes it all. And there's a, there's a part of me that I'm just ready for Jesus to come. But there's also a part, guys, we have to be sobered by this. There's also a part that says, yeah, but I know people that are going to go to hell if Jesus comes today. So even though we say like John, even so, Lord, come quickly, shouldn't there be something that says, but at least wait until I witness to them? Right? I mean, you know what I'm saying. I want Jesus to come back. I so want him. I want Jesus to come back before my grandkids get old enough to have to deal with some of the, the the. Perversion that is school. I just—I'm I, going to show you guys a, a movie. Uh, we already have a date. I think we look—we're looking at a date right now. Um, I can't remember what it is. I'll let you know. It's—it's it's like late April. Well, we're going to show a movie called "Whose Children Are They?" Powerful. I, I got to be a part of a, a showing of this. Um, the lady that made it's running for the Senate, and she she invited a bunch of people and. And um, I feel like I'm saying that like she invited me personally. She didn't. Um, but I went and saw the movie. Uh, mind-numbingly disgusting what is going on in schools across our nation. And I've been doing some investigation because I'm a powerful, influential person in politics now. And so <laughs> I've been doing some, some uh, investigation, talking to some school board members and some things like that. And this stuff is happening right here in our schools right here in Colorado. And... Um, in some of the what's considered some of the most conservative schools, like 49, D49 is considered very, very conservative. There is a bunch of craziness that's going on, pushing transgender, pushing LGBT. Um, District 20 is one of the most liberal schools in all of uh, uh, Colorado Springs, and it, it's crazy the stuff that they're teaching, the textbooks and stuff like that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you that movie. In fact, we got to be careful because I can't we can't let the kids come in and see a lot of this movie, it's a documentary, it's not a movie, because it's, it's not age appropriate for children, because it's about what they're teaching them in school. I'm not making that up. This, this is some X-rated stuff that's, that's in this documentary that's being taught to kids. So we can't let the kids watch it. Okay. We are All of creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. When God says, these are, these are my, my kids, my followers. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse. But, will eagerly, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. I, I've done a whole series about this. I'm not going to talk a lot about it now. But that it's not just that God is redeeming humanity, he's redeeming everything. That little sentence that says that even the rocks will cry out if I don't worship God, that's a very deep spiritual sentence. That's a deep theological sentence. That all of creation is waiting to put it back like it was. That all of creation, that animals won't be eating each other anymore. Now, yes, the rabbits are a lot more serious about this than, say, the lions. But, but this is a big thing. Creation is groaning because it's broken. Not just us as humans. Everything is broken. And all of creation. For we know that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Right up till this present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. I I had, I don't. You guys know I don't say this. You've never heard me say this. I, I believe God gave me a vision the other day, yesterday. I was driving, I was coming from Loveland, driving back, and I was driving through Denver, and I was praying over um, the Capitol, and I was praying over this abortion stuff. And, and, um, and, and for probably 40 or 45 minutes, God showed me something. And I'm going to tell you about it in a few weeks. i got to really get it right in my head how I did it. But, but God was showing me about abortion and some of the stuff with that. And it was so difficult, I almost had to pull over. I was getting sick to my stomach. My head was hurting. I, 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 my, I, breaking my heart was not even the right term for it. And, and you've never heard me say God gave me a vision. Okay, That's only happened a couple times in my whole life. I guess I'm the old man category because I do get dreams quite a bit. But God showed me something that just it broke me for babies. And I'm, I'll am go into it in the future. The Holy Spirit, he, he's showing us that someday we're going to be released from this sin and suffering. Little children are going to be released from the sin and suffering that they're dealing with right now. Moms and dads are going to be released from the sin and suffering that's happening. People all over the earth are going to be released. And, 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 we're, and we have this reality that this is not just a wish. This is a hope built in truth. We too wait for eager hope, with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope and we were saved If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have, we must wait patiently and confidently. The the scripture that says, occupy till the Lord comes, patiently and confidently. But do this by taking the ground that you stand on for Jesus and expanding that ground all the time. Be the light. Stand for this. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. He's saying the Holy Spirit. It's not saying the Holy Spirit prays in groanings. It says the Holy Spirit prays through us in groanings. In other words, the Holy Spirit, he knows what he wants to say. But by the time it gets into our limited existence, and I'm talking about praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. The, the, by the time it gets into our physical bodies, we can't verbalize how big what the Holy Spirit is praying about. And the best we can do is with groanings. It's what it says. It's the best we can come up with. Praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will pray for you in ways that you have no idea. And here's something i found over the years, which which was revelatory for me when I figured this out, was the Holy Spirit is praying for me about things in my spirit, in my life, walls that I've built up, rebellions, all kinds of stuff. He's praying for me in ways that I would never pray for myself. I'm struggling even dealing with the fact that I have these issues. And the Holy Spirit not only knows them, but he's not worried about it. He'll call them out through my own prayers in the Spirit. What what better gift could you have? Now, now your natural instinct is, well, maybe I don't want the Holy Spirit to go there. You really do. You just don't think you do. Right? He, He wants to change you, and you really... You should desire to let the Holy Spirit change you. Holy Spirit wants to pray through you. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's groaning, that doesn't make sense. And he says, The Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, because the Spirit's not groaning. You are. But the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will, even if it goes against what we want. And we know that God causes everything. To work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now here's the thing is I hear that scripture quoted all the time and it's never in the context of everything I just read. Usually people quote that because they're saying, oh, things just all work together. Usually the way people quote it is, all things work together for the good. That is not what the scripture says and that is not even the context. But when we do something, we want to be placated. So we say, well, that's, you know, God just is, he's just making everything work out. Look at what he just said there. The Holy Spirit is praying so deeply about you for God's will in your life that it comes out as groans for you. And then he says, and now that is God working everything out for the good of those that serve him. He takes you into the very depths of, of, of a conviction and change and, and reformation in your spirit because why? Why? He's causing it to go good for who he wants you to be. He's got a plan. It's his will to do things in you. Not just say, it's all going to work out, buddy. That's, that, it's weird how, we, how quickly we can change stuff like that. And then it just propagates over time that that's the way people think that scripture's used. We know that God causes everything from all of this To work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So when you're loving God and doing what he says, then it's going to work out for your good. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And that's the progression of our life into eternity. We have that opportunity. We're going to take communion <clears throat> together. Before we do, I'd like you just to bow your head because we're going to, I always do this. I mention this. I always do this when I'm, when I'm about to take communion. I always ask the Lord to forgive me, but I want us, I want us to, to take a, an opportunity this morning and just say, Jesus, I need you to be God over my life. And so, so, if that's you, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to have you pray with me in a little bit. In fact, let me just pray about this. Lord, we, we commit this moment to you right now, and Lord, I ask you to open our spirits, open our minds, our hearts to you. Lord, that anybody in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, let them let them know that you love them right now. Dig into their heart and their spirit, that you are God above everything, and let them let Let them, pull them towards you, Lord, that today would be the day that hope, that hope springs eternal from them. Lord, people in the room that may have been serving you, but it's not serving you now. Lord, that open their heart right now. Guys, keep your head bowed. Let me ask the question. Do you know that Jesus is Lord and Savior over your life? Have you given your heart to him? Are you served him? Are you, are you pursuing him? If you say, that's, that's not me. I'm not serving God. Guys, we want to we we give you the chance to make that decision right now. Say, I'm not serving God, but I need to be. I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. We're just all going to pray together. All right. Okay, so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a prayer to repeat with me. But if if you raise your hand, do the best you can to make this your prayer. And and if you didn't raise your hand but you wanted to, that's fine. The raising your hand is so I can pray for you later. It's, it's not because God needs to see it, but. Just to say, this is my prayer. I need Jesus to be in charge of me. So every one of us in the room, let's, let's pray this together. Repeat this prayer with me. Lord God, I need you more than anything else. I ask you to forgive me and wash me clean of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. and I ask you to cover me with the blood of Jesus and make me right with you. In Jesus' name I pray Amen Lord thank you for forgiveness and grace Thank you for your blood Jesus Thank you for this amazing thing That we just call salvation Lord it's so much bigger It's relationship, it's connection It's protection, it's hope It's covering Lord we thank you for this That you're the king Jesus you're the king, Jesus. <clears throat> On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you Do this in remembrance of me. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for Jesus, for for coming to this earth and putting on this human flesh. And Lord, even before you stepped into this flesh, you knew that this was going to end physically horrible. But it was our only hope spiritually. So Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for allowing them to tear your body up so that I could be physically healed. We thank you for this. You guys know I I strongly believe in healing. Divine, physical healing believe in it. Isaiah 53 says that the, the cross is when that healing is provided and I've, and I've seen theologians say no, that wasn't talking about physical healing well then explain to me why later when Peter quotes it, he's talking about physical healing it was definitely about physical healing in Isaiah 53, and later when Peter quotes it, he says, by the stripes that Jesus took, you were healed, he says it past tense So I think it's a very legitimate thing that when we're taking communion, we're doing this as a remembrance. See, there's always a a trifold thing involved with communion. There's the past. We're remembering what happened. Jesus died on the cross. Going all the way back to Passover is the bigger picture of this. But Jesus died on the cross. But I'm remembering it because Jesus saves me now. It's today. And then he says, do this to proclaim my death until I come back. It's, It's also prophetic. It's all, it's all three, all at the same time. I'm remembering that I can be saved now and I'll be saved for eternity, right? So I think there's a legitimacy that says, he died on the cross. I believe it's God's will to heal everybody. I know that throws some people off. They're like, but why doesn't everybody get healed? Those are not the same question. Why everybody doesn't get healed and is it God's will are two different questions. And I believe scripture says that on the cross, He provided everything you need for physical healing. So one of the things I do when I always take communion is I always pray, God, heal me. I'm doing this to remember that's what this whole thing's about. So physically heal me. We do the same with the blood and nobody blinks. You're gonna cover me with your blood and save me. So pray that. And I pray the same thing when it comes to the the bread. So I pray, God... Every one of us in here physically heal our bodies. Things we don't even know about heal us. Things we do know about. Lord, you know some things I'm dealing with. God, heal me. Completely heal me. You took the stripes at the cross on your back, on your body, to heal me. And so, Lord, I'm praying for what you've already said you did for me. I pray this in the Help us to remember what you did. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, this isn't a story we've made up. We know this is truth. My hope is, is not built upon something I think maybe possibly happened. Jesus, you took the whips that they took to your body. You took those. We know that that happened. My hope is built on that. My hope is built on that. In Jesus' name. The same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. That's what made it possible. This wasn't just words. Jesus confirmed it That's why when somebody says, well, I've done too much for Jesus to forgive me. He he gave everything, his his entire existence and his body to forgive you. Don't don't push that away. Let that happen. Let him forgive you. He said, in agreement, confirmed with my blood. Do this in in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes back. He died, you're announcing that he's coming back. Lord, we thank you for forgiveness in your blood. We thank you. Forgive every one of us in this room. Cover us with your blood. And Lord, we, we ask you to extend this across our state, across our country, across the world. There are people so needing your blood to cover them. And forgive them. Thank you for your blood. In the name of Jesus. Let's take the drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this gift. We will honor it. We will acknowledge it. And we will live in this. In the name of Jesus. Lord, my hope is not subjective. It is built upon your word. It is built upon you. I stand in you. Lord, take us from here full of your power, your presence, your spirit. Lord, and help us to bring hope to somebody this week. That we have hope that we can actually give to somebody. In the name of Jesus. noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to share him, to share hope with somebody. Take it. Take the opportunity and be amazed at what God does in you and what God does in them. So we have business meeting Wednesday night. Hopefully we'll see all of you there. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they're here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.